Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Eugene Rogan, and as the director of the Middle East Center, it's a tremendous pleasure to welcome you all to tonight's event. We are fortunate tonight to have among us the advisory board of the Middle East Center. The board was established two years ago to provide the support and the guidance that this very engaged Middle East Center needs to fulfill its goals to serve as a bridge between the region that we all study and the students that we all teach in a way that keeps us at the head of the game. And our advisory board, now seven members strong, has been a real foundation of support to us, starting with its chairman, Mr. Namir Kurdar, through whose guidance and leadership we were able to achieve the construction of this amazing building, named the InvestCorp building after the company that he founded in 1982. And you'll see his name also on our old building, 68 Woodstock Road, which we're proud to have renamed the Kurdar Building in his honor. I'm also pleased to welcome among our board members Dr. Sarah Kurdar, who's not only one of our board members, but one of our alumni. That holds true for Dr. Joseph Sassoon as well. We can't claim unique credit for him. Georgetown University claims him as their Sabah pref- professor. But we are very grateful. And to Dana El-Mullah, who, board member and alumnus, has been a source of tremendous support and inspiration to us all. So I, I welcome our advisory board members. When they come, we like to take the opportunity to expose them to our community and to the kind of activities that makes Oxford's Middle East Center a little bit different, a little bit special. And so tonight's event is, with that in mind, a distinguished speaker's lecture, and we could find no one more distinguished than my dear friend and colleague, Tariq Ramadan. Tariq Ramadan is our Sheikh Hamad bin Khalifa Chair in Contemporary Islamic Studies. He is the author of pretty much every major work that you will have wanted to read on contemporary Islam, Radical Reform, Islamic Ethics and Liberation, The Arab Awakening, Islam and the New Middle East, The Messenger, which was his new biography of the Prophet Muhammad, and Western Muslims and the Future of Islam. To name but a few, it's very hard to keep up with your publication list. But tonight, we are here to celebrate the launch of his latest book, Islam, the Essentials, published by Pelican, intended really to serve as a guide for the broadest possible readership. It was wonderful to see Pelican books relaunched by Penguin. I have to say, they're very picky about the authors that they recruit to write for them. They're looking for the authoritative voices who will make a work of reference that will withstand the test of time. Could they have done any better than to have invited Tariq Ramadan, as I do now, to the podium? Thank you, Eugene, for this uh, introduction, and thank you for, for being here. It's a pleasure for me to just introduce you to this latest book. In fact, just to tell you about it, it's Penguin once calling me and telling me, you know what, we were trying to get uh, an introduction to Islam, something which was simple to try to let the people understand what Islam was all about, and, and we didn't find something. And as we were having this uh, pelican they asked me to write something which was uh, simple and at the same time accessible for a large audience. It was not an academic book per se, not the like as, you know, uh, Radical Reform, Islamic Ethics and Liberation. I was very happy. It was challenging because to write in a simple way about such uh, uh, some of the sensitive issues that are today connected to Islam was not uh, easy. The first thing that I wanted to say, for me it was a test, so I asked my program manager, Caroline, 
to help me to do this. And this is why I dedicated the book to her, because first, because she, wa- she is just an enorm support for me in the work that I am doing in here in Oxford, doing a very good job, one of the most ethical persons I have met. And sometimes it's good to have people coming from another tradition teaching you your own principles, uh, telling you this is the way you should work. And it's really, I'm serious about that. So, so she had been helping. And, and, and she wrote the table of content by saying, I told her, if you were to read something about Islam, what do you want to know about Islam? What do you think it's important? So she helped me to write the table of content. And she came with this idea at the end, which is 10 things you thought you knew about Islam. And then I took exactly the idea and I went with this. So following her advice and getting a sense of somebody who knows something about Islam, but not enough and wants to know more. And I followed that. So the book is trying to be simple, accessible, but not simplistic. And I decided to do something which is very important. For the last 30 years, dealing with media, dealing with people within academia, very often you're asked to speak about Islam and to say what Islam is not. So it's not about violence, it's not this, it's not that. But the very rational, the, the essence of the religion, it's not there. We are not asked to speak about the spiritual dimension, we are not speak, uh, asked to speak about the historical contribution, we are not uh, asked to speak about uh, uh, the fundamental tenets and things like this. So I decided to restructure the whole thing to decide from within which structure I wanted to, to give, starting with the spiritual dimension, the message, and at the same time not to shy, to, to shy away from any controversial discussion. So you'll find that I'm talking almost about all the controversial issues that I have been, yeah, that, that you have been hearing about during the last years. I'm talking about violence, I'm not talking about women, I'm talking about homosexuality, I'm talking about But I'm talking about this within a grand narrative, so to speak, which is the way I think things should be tackled when it comes to this. And the the second question that I had doing this was also to ask what would be my audience. And I think, in fact, all my books, it's always a concern, is try to reach two audiences. It's to speak to Muslims and by being critical towards some traditional understandings, so this is what I have been doing. You will see that I'm not tackling issues in a simple way. I'm trying just to challenge and to open up uh, critical thinking. But at the same time, I want to talk to uh, people of other faiths, people with no faith, and also to be able to help them to get within the complexity of the Islamic universe of reference. So that's also something. So I have two audiences always. So it's not a book for Muslim and it's not a book for people of other faiths. It's a book for all. So what I, I have been trying to do, st- it was to start with something which I think is necessary when you enter into the, the realm of a religion which is at the same time a civilization, which is not exactly the same. You are not, we are talking about the Islamic civilization and we are talking about the Islamic religion. And here you are to, to, dealing with a specific way when it comes to religion and another uh, dimension when it comes to, uh, to the this, this, this civilization itself. And the first thing that I, I was tackling, I, I wanted to tackle in the book, was the history. Why? Because when it comes to the history, I started with the life of the messenger and then straight away uh, dealing with what happened after his death. To understand the complexity, because we have two problems. One, when it comes from within and we deal with the Islamic tradition, very often we have a very idealized way of dealing with our history. 
we are not dealing with this, this history the way we should do. So, for example, not acknowledging the fact that three of the followers of the Khulafa after the Prophet were killed. So this was a very difficult reality of a political power struggle, and, and we have to deal with this and not to idealize by saying, you know, the first three generations were very good people, and that's it, and we take it. So from within the Islamic religious tradition, there is a problem with history. So the critical thinking about history, that is something which is important. On the other side, what we have today is some people coming to you and telling you Islam is all about violence. Islam is this, Islam and that, and not taking into account a long tradition where during the Middle Ages what, uh, and the Golden Ages of Islam, we had something else. So if in the past it was something else, you cannot essentialize Islam today. So history, it's a teaching reality for both readers or, or both audiences, and I wanted to take this as something which was important. And starting also in this discussion about the fact that as it is a religion, what we have to deal with is not only the, the understanding of a religion with rituals and with rules, but it's the spiritual dimension of the message. And once again, this is almost something that I'm almost not asked about when it comes to deal with the general public in the media. You don't talk about the spiritual dimension of this religion and, and what it, it, it means, for example. In our discussion, and very often when we speak about even interfaith dialogue, we keep on speaking about what we have in common between religions and Christianity and Judaism and, and Buddhism and Hinduism. I have been dealing with this for almost 20 years, interfaith dialogue. Uh, but there is something here which is missing even in the way we are dealing with this is the conception of God, the conception of uh, human beings. The uh, mankind in itself, human being. This is something that we are not tackling, while I think it's very important. So the philosophical angle coming from the spiritual understanding is something which I think is missing in our understanding. And, and for example, I'll give you an example. We are speaking about uh, human being being uh, constitutes, constituted of uh, a soul and a body. So this is what we are talking about, and we know that it's coming from the Greek tradition, the Christian tradition, and the Jewish tradition is all the same, and Islam is the same. Now, if you go deep in this discussion about the concept of human being, the moral qualification of the, 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 the body and the soul are not exactly the same in all the religions. If you, go, you don't go deep in this understanding, you keep at the surface of our understanding, soul and body, and not understanding that, for example, what differentiates the different religions, for example, Christianity and the religion still, that it's not in Islam. Islam is closer in many, many essential principles from the Jewish tradition than the Christian tradition. So that's, that's very important to, to remind the people, say, be careful, because we are coming back to something which is the very essential of monotheism, which is much more similar to the Jewish tradition than to the Christian tradition. And this is also when it comes to the concept or the conception of human beings. From this, what I also try to, to get is, for me, which is one of the challenges that we have when it comes to Islam from within, is to come back to the fundamental tenets of Islam and to try, for example, the six pillars of faith, the five pillars of uh, practice, and all what we have in the tradition, and to come with this and, and not to come with the traditional way of exposing these six pillars. What I want is for every pillar for every single notion is to come with the meaning of it. So once again, I'm always trying to reconnect the three things that are important when it comes to religion is the spiritual dimension, it's the legal dimension and the ethical dimension.
altogether. The spiritual is the meaning that you have, the ethical is the moral value that you have, and the legal it's the way it's going to be translated. It tenzil, as we say in, in, in the Arabic tradition, is how do you translate this? Why this is important? Because we are now facing, and, and you can understand why, from where I'm coming in this, is we are facing now literalist interpretations. And the literalists are disconnecting the legal from the spiritual and the ethical by saying this is the rule, this is what you have to do. If you want to tackle, if you know, I, ha- I am in a, in a difficult discussion with the Salafi today from within my tradition, as you may get from what I'm trying to say. So with the Salafi, the point is exactly this one, is how to reconnect the legal, the rule, with the ethical and the spiritual. If you don't do this, you end up being formalistic in all what you are doing. And this is where I'm trying to get all the six principles of faith and the five principles of practice by reconnecting. So I take time for every single principle to try to get the meaning of it and the spiritual dimension of it. And taking from the three main traditions. So I, once again, I take some stance in this book. I don't agree with the fact that the center of authority in Islam is only the fuqaha, which is the legal and the jurists, or the legal tradition. I want to reconcile once again the fact that uh, we have to take from the mystical tradition, the Sufi tradition, which is coming with the inner dimension, but not only, the philosophical tradition, one of the great problems that we had in our history, the history of the Islamic civilization, and this fracture between the legal and the philosophical. So there is a, a legal tradition, and I really think that what we need today, it's a, it's a philosophy of the legal tradition, a philosophy of law, not only a law to be implemented. So it's coming back to the comprehensive understanding. So this is what I'm trying to do when it comes to the fundamental tenets, and also to deal with what are the sources, and this big question, are our sources only the scriptural sources, or do we have and how do, are we going to deal with the, 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 the ration, rationality and, and what rationality could bring into the discussion? So this discussion is also part of what I'm trying to do in, in this. By doing something which I think is essential, and this is why it's also a scholarly work when it comes to this, it's always to be faithful to a tradition by saying this is the way it happened, and this is the way we have to question. So not saying, by the way we are questioning now, we neglect the past. I'm not doing this. I'm not neglecting the Islamic tradition. But I think that what we need to do now is to come back to this tradition and to be able to question the production of this tradition in order to be able to talk to Muslims. Because at the end of the the day, you have to talk from within. You're not going to talk from outside. So this kind of modern approach saying... Forget about your tradition, come back to the Quran and the Sunnah, for example, and that's it, you are going to be modern, it's not going to work, because there is a a fracture. This is the way I see it, so this is why in all my books, I'm always trying to put myself within the tradition, and then come with the critical discussion about or towards this tradition. So I think that this is something also which is important. I take time to explain uh, the diversity of the religion. So, so once again, the comparative approach with all the monotheistic tradition, for example, the Jewish tradition and the Christian tradition, I think it's very important to get a sense of what are the similarities and what are the differences. And by the way, it's good also because sometimes my main problem in the West is not that the people don't know about Islam, is that they don't even know about Judaism and they don't know about Christianity. So, so that's good to, to help the people in another way. As well, So there is also something which is important when it comes to the diversity outside. There is a diversity within. 
and I took two or three sections, it's within a, a chapter, explaining, and then once again, that's also important, explaining to the Muslim readers and explaining to the people of other faith or with no faith or who have no understanding of religion, what is the complexity within Islam, which is the accepted diversity. For example, starting at the highest level, which what we know, Sunni and Shia and Ibadi. By the way, we should know that there is a third one, and the Ibadi, well, by the way, they were here last year having a meeting in this room, uh, which I think is very important. One percent of the Muslims, but they, they are in Oman, they are in Zanzibar, and they are, they are very productive in the fiqh tradition, in the legal tradition, very, very prominent people that we have here great scholars, and they are completely neglected by, by many who only speak about Sunni and Shia, but this is the highest level. Now, if you come to a second level, what we have is the schools of uh, law in Madahib, which is what we know in the Sunni tradition. And I'm also talking in... I'm not only speaking about the Sunni, I'm trying to speak about the Sunni and the Shia and, and, and all the different traditions here, so at the highest level. And then you have the school of law, Hanafi, uh, Shafi'i, and uh, what you have also in the, the Shia tradition. And then you have schools of thought, and once again, these are the different disciplines. We cannot neglect all what is coming and brought to by, for example, the, the philosophical discipline, the, the, the mystical discipline, so the legal discipline. These are schools of thought where there are productions here that are very important. Uh, and very often we are neglecting this. What we know today about the Islamic philosophy beyond the Ibn Rushd in the West is just uh, laughable because the philosophical tradition is much bigger than this. So when, for example, recently I had a, a discussion here in the UK with people saying that the roots of the European civilization, the European culture is the Greek tradition, repeating what uh, Benedict XVI was saying about the Greek tradition and the Christianity. Say, say it's as if, you know, rationality is coming from Descartes, is not coming from uh, elsewhere. Say, I'm sorry, Descartes read Abu uh, Hamid al-Ghazali and he knew about doubting, which is coming from uh, 12th century uh, before the 17th century. So he read this. So anything which has to do with rationality and doubt is connected. So this is something which is important. The schools of thought are important. And then we have trends, and the trends are the, the, the literalists, the traditionalists, the reformists, the rationalists, the politicized uh, trends that we have. So all these are part of Islam and an accepted diversity. Why am I saying this? Because I really think that the people who don't know about Islam have a very simple way of dealing with good Muslims, bad Muslims. So that's what we have now. The good Muslims are the so-called moderate Muslims. We don't know who they are exactly. Or we know all the people who agree with what we want them to say, and all others are the bad Muslims. This binary vision, this polarized, is very dangerous. So the complexity of Islam here, I'm trying to explain this as part of... Uh, something which is an educational process. And by the way, I also think that there is a great deal of confusion among the Muslims about this. They don't exactly know. And what are the limits, for example? Because when we, you say there is an accepted diversity, as recently I was at the, the book fair in Geneva, and you, you heard about this, I, don't, I forgot his name again, who was on the BBC by saying, you remember maybe his name, he said, the, there is a reformation in Islam now, and the reformation in Islam now is Daesh. Daesh is reforming Islam. And, and questioning, who are you to tell us that this is not the right Islam? So taking what, you know, the huge consensus of Muslims around the world saying this is not Islam, they are betraying the very essence of Islam, and he is saying, no, 
How can you do this? Who has the authority to say that this is not Islamic? That's a deep question, and this is why it's very important to be able to say there is an accepted diversity, but there are limits. If, for example, you are saying I can kill innocent people in the name of Islam, I'd say no, that this is beyond. So I'm not saying you are not Muslims, but I'm saying that your interpretation of the book are not acceptable and by, by the consensus of the Muslims around the world. And he was saying, for example, that this, there is, no one has the authority to say this, and I think that this is critical. We need also to be clear on that. So this is also something which is important, the diversity within, and I'm responding to this question, which is, uh, are they Islams or one Islam? And I'm saying, from within, the Muslims, and this is why we have to come with some authority, should say there is one Islam and many interpretations. And then to, say, to be able to say, what are the common principles that we have everywhere and the different interpretations. So, so we're not talking about Christianities or Judaisms. Uh, we're talking about one religion, but many interpretations. And, and there, this is where we have to set the limits sometimes of what is accepted and what is not. There is a, a, so this is the, the way, the third chapter. And there is one chapter which is for me important, which has to do to deal with notions and definitions because I, I, I really think so there is a very long glossary with uh, all the Arab words with their definitions and their translations which I took time because I really think that this is important but uh, there are notions that are very important so I took almost half a section to speak about Islam even Islam, because I don't agree with the definition of Islam, which is submission. I think it's a wrong translation. Anyone who knows Arabic understands that Islam doesn't mean submission in English, for many reasons. So the whole understanding of uh, in Islam there is salam, and salam means also to enter in God's peace, which is completely different. You can reverse the whole dimension of what it means, in fact. And we even have to understand that there is Islam before Islam. So Abraham, in the Islamic tradition, is a Muslim in the time of his own revelation as Moses and as Jesus. So there is Islam before Islam. So the last revealed message is just confirming what was before. So we need to understand what is the message of Islam and what, is, what the notion means. The same for a very controversial word uh, today, which was Sharia. So I took also one section and saying Sharia is, uh, have multiple meanings. And not only a meaning which has to do with what we have coming from the fuqaha, Every discipline translated or understood the word depending on its own discipline. So the, the fuqaha, the jurist, was saying it's the law, because shara has to do with law. But uh, mystical circles were saying, no, it's the way. It's the way I'm going to transform. So tadbiq al-shari'a fil-qalb, meaning this is what I have to do with my heart. So sharia is not at all the law. It's the way you transform the self. It's the way towards self-purification. That's something which is completely different. In the philosophical trend, you go to Farabi, for example, he's not talking about Sharia as the legal framework, he's talking about the way. Because literally, Sharia means the way towards a source, a water source. So, so, so this is what is also uh, understood. My understanding of Sharia, it's not at all about law. I will never translate Sharia by the legal framework, because I think that the legal is the means of something which is the way. So you need the means to get the way. But if you confuse the way with the means, you are confusing the ends with the means. That's a complete confusion of the word. So that's also something that I'm trying to, uh, to define. Jihad as well, very important word. And not, as I told you, shying away of dealing with qital 
and violence and what is happening. We have to talk about these issues. We have to be very clear on that. So I'm trying to, to, to deal with, with all these questions. And some of the critical questions that we have even with, uh, within the Islamic tradition was, do we take for authentic per se everything which is coming from al-Bukhari wa Muslim? I'm questioning this. And I'm questioning this when it comes for the, 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 the age of Aisha by saying we have lots of studies today saying Aisha was not six and was he, she was not nine when she was married. So we might have to reconsider this in studies that are critical discussion on hadith. So some of uh, the Salafi were not very happy with this. So, so, and not only with this, also when I was talking about uh, the Sufi, they don't want the Sufi within the tradition. So if you say Sufi, you are, that's not Islam. Last thing and last chapter, just, uh, and I will end with this, is a, a chapter also which is important, which is uh, dealing with the contemporary issues. So it's a long presentation and introduction to some of the main topics, the principles of Islam, the tenets, diversity. And the last is, has to do with the contemporary challenges. And the contemporary challenges that take some of the challenges that are crossing the board everywhere, which type of challenges that we have. One, for example, when I'm talking about this, when you go through uh, the Muslim-majority countries, but also in the West, is, as I said, a critical discussion about history and the past. This idealization of the past and even of the great scholars of the past is making us helpless facing the challenges today. So we have something here which is important. This uh, very difficult relationship that we have with uh, culture, so I keep on repeating always the same, there is no religion without culture, there is no culture without religion, but religion is not culture. So it's subtle, it's difficult, but we have to deal with this. And we have to deal with this in the countries of origin, because what we have now, the Salafi are confusing their reading of the scriptural sources with their culture. So they want to export Arabize Islam, which is not Islam, it's not, this is the principle. And they are saying, the universality of Islam is the universality of our culture. Why I'm saying exactly the opposite, the universality of Islam is the diversity of cultures, not yours. The only thing which is universal in the book is the language, not your culture. So that's something which is an essential discussion that we have now, and mainly our experience in the West is just raising this as something which is an essential discussion. Interpretation of the text, of course, literalist or, or rationalist, how can we... Uh, so this is also a contemporary challenge. And then I come to the challenges that we have within Muslim-majority countries. So violence is one of the challenges, but also something which is... Uh, very difficult today, and uh, I have been quite critical towards uh, uh, political Islam during this last decade, and, and, and I have been writing on this. But I think that the problem is deeper than that. The problem is what is happening today in Muslim-majority countries, which is this polarization between the secular and the Islamists. It's as if they are justifying their presence by the presence of the other. So I am qualified to speak because I am against you, I'm a modern, or I'm the guardian of the tradition. When it comes to true politics, about what is your project, when it comes to social justice, when it comes to cultural policy, when it comes to economy, for example, it's very poor. We don't have something which is very deep in what we have as the production of political thought today. It's one of the, the, the problems that we have. Of course, the lack of freedom if the, in, in the great majority of the Muslim-majority countries, and especially, of course, in the Middle East, and this confusion 
confusion that we have also that uh, the, the the source of all the problems in uh, in uh, the, the region, for example, is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which I think is the consequence of problems that are deeper than that in the societies. And when it comes to the West or Muslims as minority, we have been saying and repeating that Muslims being minorities as they are in the West is new. That's wrong. That's in history is not true. There have been minorities in African countries. There have been minorities in Asian countries. In many countries, there have been minorities. What is new is to deal with the secular. And how do you deal with the secular? So, so what is your sense of belonging in a secular society? How do you deal with your identity? That's a very important. How do you call the space? While for centuries the Muslims were differentiating between the space of Islam and the space, uh, the abode of Islam and the abode of war, this all this now has been uh, be critically reassessed. Uh, but still, we have problems here that are quite critical. One of them, as I said, is also cultures and religion. What is cultural and what is religious when it comes to your reality and dealing with West, the, the West. So, so this is it. This is the whole structure of the book. And uh, it's a journey that I have been uh, trying to uh, propose in the book for the readers, uh, going from the, the, the fundamentals, history, to the contemporary issues, and trying also to set some critical discussions on controversial issues, yes, and challenging Muslims, by the way. You can see this in all my books, by the way. This is what I am used to do. But also my fellow human beings and brothers and sisters in humanity by saying, look, it's up to us now. Either you go together and it's a mutual knowledge or mutual ignorance and and negative perceptions, and this is uh, something which was important. And, And this is part of my conclusion My conclusion was a positive take on on this question. Being a Muslim, speaking from within, being very critical with the tradition, trying to to come to to, to question some of the traditional and very repeated truths that we have within our tradition. It's also very important to be respectful, respectful of the Muslims, respectful towards a a psychology that now is also uh, perceiving itself or the Muslims perceiving themselves as victims. And there is something in the, the, the second part, the last part of the book and even in the conclusion, which is never to accept victim mentality can be victims of racism, you cannot nurture a victim mentality. And for both of us, because I, what, what I see today in the West is also the victim mentality by saying, oh, these people are colonizing us, we are the victims of their presence, they are going to change our society. So it's a world of victims, and I, I'm trying here to reach two audiences by saying that cannot work. It's all based on knowledge, on critical and deep uh, understanding, and the necessity of uh, getting this sense of complexity, which is also what I'm trying to do is to introduce readers to a complex world of meanings, of uh, systems, of histories, of diversity, and uh, of critical, of crisis also, because I'm also dealing with all the crises the Muslims are facing, crisis of authority today. Who is speaking for Muslims? Who is speaking for Muslims today between what we see in the Sunni and the Shia tradition exactly the same? We have a deep problem of authority in Muslim-majority countries and here. So the complexity of this uh, uh, dimension. I'm myself advocating for a shift of the center of gravity of authority in Islam by saying, as I told you, that uh, I think that the fuqaha being the only reference is problematic, that uh, we need to, to also bring into the discussion as authorities, practitioners or scientists and, and, and philosophers. So this is uh, one uh, of the main points of my conclusion. And as I told you, whatever the difficulties are to remain positive 
about what we have to do. So, so it's possible. I'm very, by the way, I'm very positive about the future of Muslims in the West. I'm less positive about what is happening in the Middle East these days. But really, I'm really positive because I, I really think it's a question of time. I'm saying something and repeating something that two generations of, of Muslim presence in the West is going to change and to have a great, tremendous impact in Muslims in Muslim-majority countries. And this is also something that is also going to be important uh, because this uh, coming back from the periphery to the center will help the center maybe to move, not by cutting itself from the source, but being maybe more faithful to the sources. This is at least what I hope uh, writing and trying to contribute to the discussion. Thank you.